Hey guys, welcome back to Bible and Coffee. How are you? Hopefully well. If you hear chirping this whole entire time or moving like right now, it's my birds. I couldn't take them outside. It's too windy and it's too cold. So uh, last week we left off in John 12 and today we're going to continue on John 13. I'm not sure till when because I use my laptop and it only gives me 30 minutes so I have to get going. <laughs> so like always we're going to start with a prayer and we'll continue on from there. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another beautiful day of life, Lord, for letting us be alive, for giving us life, Lord. I thank you for for allowing us to be here today, Lord. And I ask of you to please help me and the other person on the other side of the screen to understand your word better, to truly dive deep and grow closer to you, Lord. Please give us wisdom, Lord, to understand, to truly understand, Lord, not to just skim over words without any meaning, Lord, but to truly dive into the word. Help us grow closer to you, to grow a strong relationship with you, Lord. I thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord. I thank you for everything. Please forgive us, Lord, for our sins, Lord, for we are human. Please cleanse us, Lord. Help us be better. I thank you for everything, Lord. Amen. Okay. So, verse 13. I'm going to start actually in verse 12, just so we remember what was what happened last week, okay? So, verse 12. But to all who didn't, who did accept him, and believe in him he gave the right to become children of God okay so that's where we left off so verse 13 where we are starting today but to all who did oh excuse me (laughs) they did not become his children in any human way by any human parents or human desires they were born of God so here we could see in verse 12 and also verse 13 where John claims that those who do not believe in Jesus are not children of God we expect to hear a course of protests aren't we all children of God okay so we always hear that right aren't we all children of God why does this why does that and sometimes we might not understand like they kind of have a point so if, if those who are new um you know, you might agree, right? And those who aren't new to this, well, you, we, we kind of understand and others might still not understand. So this is why. What do we say to those who claim that every person is a child of God? We are all children of God in the sense that God has created each person and given each of us light and life. But God is more than a creator. He is the guide and controller. The question remains, what kind of children are we? A child who can merely, merely live in a home partaking of the benefits without love or gratitude for the father? Such a child neither cooperates or truly helps the father. Those claiming that every person is God's child generally, generally means, I want all the privileges but none of the responsibilities. God's true children follow him in commitment, gratitude, friendship, and fellowship. What kind of child are you? So, God is the guide and the controller. He guides us through things. He controls us. Well, not, I should phrase that better. (laughs) Controller. 
he controlled everything he brought everything into life he's right <laughs> so the question is what kind of child are you are you a child who wants to rebel and not help the father you live in the father's home that he built for you but you don't want to help him or are you going to follow the father in commitment and gratitude are you going to follow his rules are you going to follow the law are you so what child are you so okay okay so children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of god that is the new international version i might be wrong but it's the same verse verse 13 so one is not in god's family because he or she is a jew by natural birth nor even born into a christian family a new birth cannot be attained by an act of human will and is and it has absolutely nothing to do with human planning it is a gift from god so you might be wondering what what do you mean another birth what what does this mean so the second birth when you're baptized you are giving a new life so it's not by birth some of us might be might have been born into a christian family and we just followed and you know went through the moments but when you truly become a child of god and you start following is when you have a strong connection you just don't, you don't just go to church because you have to go to church because you you have a desire to go to church you want to go to church you want to be with the lord okay it's a gift from god and you can't attain it by yourself we have to remember we can't do things out of our own strength verse 14 the word became a human and lived among us we saw his glory the glory that belongs to the son the only son of the father and he was full of grace and truth so i i'm using my phone for a bible and once you click it you can highlight it you can share it and you can also compare it to other versions and for this one, I'd like to compare it to a specific version, and that would be the King James Version, which it it feels... Uh, how do I put this? Well, you'll see in a minute. So this is verse 14, but in King James Version. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold his glory, the glory as of the... Only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word. Returning to a powerful term used in the beginning of the Gospel, John continues the theme of the prologue. The first 13 verses summarize the Word's relationship to the world as its rejected Creator, Visitor, Light, and Savior. Yet throughout the opening paragraph, John does not identify the Word as being human except in personal pronouns. So as we remember in the past, in the past 12, 13 verses, we keep reading the word, the word, and we identified the word as Jesus. But here, he continues using the word. So, in King James Version, it said the flesh. 
This phrase is striking and arresting despite its fam- familiarity. Understanding its meaning simply increases our wonder. Many modern translators have unfortunately rendered this phrase as became a man. Of course, this is what the text means, but John purposely used the word flesh to combat a heresy called doctism. It It's spelled D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M, a heresy that denied that Jesus truly had a human body. This heresy claimed that the Son of God merely seemed human. He was not truly human. Later in his first epistle, John wrote that any person who did not confess that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh did not belong to God. 1 John uh, chapter one, chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus was already the divine word, but he had arrived on the earth as flesh. As Jesus was born, he was not part man and part God. He was completely human and completely divine. There you can find Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Before Christ came, the people could know God partic- partially. After Christ had come, people could know God fully because he became visible and tangible. There you can find Hebrews 1, verse 1-3. Christ is the perfect example of God in human form. The two most common errors that people make about Jesus is minimizing his humanity or minimizing his divinity. Jesus is both divine and human. There you can see... Philippians verse 2, um, verse 5 through 9. So, he's not just part man and part God. He's not half and half. He's fully God and fully man. Okay? Completely. You can't say he was half this and half that. So, John was also clarifying his use of the term word, the Greek philosophical meaning of the word was reason which could refer to anything that wasn't flesh to say the word became flesh broke all the rules which is exactly what God said did okay so what Christ became by becoming human Christ became the perfect teacher in Jesus life we can see how God thinks and therefore how we should think you can write in your notes Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. He was the perfect example as a model of what we, we can become and we will become if we follow Jesus. Jesus shows us how to live and give us the power to live that way. Um, in your notes, you can write 1 first, um, first Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And he was also the perfect sacrifice. Jesus came as a sacrifice for all sins. His death satisfied God's requirements for the removal of sin. There you can find Colossians 1, verse 15-23. He dwelt among us, right? So, the Greek word for dwelt means 
tabernacle or pitch tent. To the Greek reader familiar with the Old Testament, this would have easily brought to mind the Old Testament tabernacle. In a sense that Jesus was God's new tabernacle, God in Jesus dwelt among the people, the man living with the disciples was God incarnated. John was overwhelmed with the truth. He began his first letter by describing the experience of seeing without no, excuse me, the experience of seeing, touching and hearing his word, who became flesh and was with him. They can find first John chapter one, one through four. So in Christ God came to meet with people through Christ we can come to meet with God. So, let's see. So, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, the Father, full grace and truth. So remember when we read verse 14, we also compared it to the new the King James version, okay? Because it it had the word flesh, and in the New Century Version, it doesn't say that. So, so for those who have the the New King or the King James Version, it says flesh, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, His glory is often called ah the Shikan glory. The Shikan denotes in the tent. So. It's S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H, glory. I'm not sure how to exactly pronounce it, so I'm going to call it the S glory, okay? Because the S denotes in the tent, glory in the tent. Glory refers to Christ's divine greatness and shining moral splendor. For a specific instance of seeing his glory, see chapter 2 verse 11 in John. This perhaps the clearest example of what John was thinking when he and the two other disciples saw Jesus' transfiguration. See Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 through 13. Peter spoke of a specific specifically of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. Underneath Jesus' appearance as an order, ordinary Jewish carpenter, the disciples saw an indwelling glory of God. To an outsider, Jesus was nobody special, but to those in the inner circle, he was the unique Son of God filled with glory. Too often we accuse the disciples of being slow to understand Jesus, but much of the time they were simply stunned. Jesus was always more than they could observe, uh, absorb, and he will, he will have the same effect on us. So. Imagine you were a disciple and you got to see the whole glory of Jesus. You were there sitting with him, eating with him, hearing him. I think I'd be slow too. So when we all go to heaven, I don't think all of us, we'd all be stunned. I'd be stunned and I'd lose it. What do you mean by lose it? If we could, if we could cry because we says we're not going to cry no more tears, I'd probably fill it up with my tears because he's done a lot for me and I don't think I'd have the words to describe how happy I am 
There's a lovely song in Spanish where it says, there are moments in which words cannot describe how I feel. And it goes, and it's a beautiful song in Spanish. If you go to a Spanish church, you would, I think you'd know the song. And sometimes I hear that song and it makes me cry because sometimes we really don't have the words to describe how wonderful he's been to us. And that's why the disciples were really slow to understand. Like, they were in awe, stunned at everything. And he's going to have the same effect on us. So, the Greek word for the only begotten suggests a one and only son. So, I used to be one of the many who didn't understand begotten. What did the only begotten son? Or... But we would pray, you know, people would say, the only begotten son, and I wouldn't understand at all. So, it suggests and means the, only, the one and only son. Son of God was the father's, one and only, his unique son. Although all believers are called children and said to be born of God, Jesus is one of a kind and enjoys a special relationship with God. Eastern thought teaches a cycle of reincarnation. Many Hindus believe that Jesus was one of the many series of reincarnation of Krishna. But John teaches that Jesus, as the unique Son of God, has a special glory and an unrivaled, unparalleled, and unrepeatable place of honor. The full, the phrase full of grace and the truth modifies the word it also softens the glare of glory. The Greek word for grace parallels a Hebrew word meaning loving kindness. The word in Greek also means that which is a free gift. The Greek word for truth means reality and genuine. John's gospel connects it with the idea of divine revelation. Those enlightened realized Christ was the divine reality in union with Christ. We experience his grace and truth by his power. We can show his life to others. So, he's the one and only, the only begotten son. And he has a special relationship with the Lord. Like it said, we are all children of God, but... It's an unparalleled and unrepeatable place of honor that Jesus has. No? So, glory. Although we have not been granted the privilege of seeing Jesus as the disciples did, someday we will. Now we see but a poor reflection as, it, as in a mirror that then we shall see a face to face. Now, I know part I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. First Corinthians, verse thirteen. No, chapter thirteen, verse twelve. In the meantime, we have to we have the testimony of those who were with Jesus. Jesus prayed for those of us who would believe in Him through the witnesses. In His prayer, Jesus anticipated the time when we could all see His glory. Now, even the poor, reflect the poor reflection, quote-unquote, 
of his glory is enough to change us as we allow his words to become part of us as we obey his commands and seek to honor him. We will discover in ourselves a growing eagerness to stand before him to experience his full glory, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, and share it in share it to 2 Corinthians verse 14, chapter 14, chapter 4, verse 17. So it's it's pretty cool. So the poor reflection, I I think it was meant to the Bible. Uh, I said quote unquote because you know I don't believe that. Um, I had something to say, but I completely forgot. Um, so when you feel uh, as if you can't hear the Lord, or you, you know, you haven't heard from from Him for a while and you haven't touched your Bible in a while, you might want to open the Word. So that's how they communicate with us. You know? You have... Like he left us this book of... of lives that lived for the Lord so we can understand, so we, so we could learn. You know, and that's how God speaks to us. And it's not like, oh, I had such a revelation, I was struck down by lightning. It doesn't have to be over dramatic. It could just be by opening the Bible and reading it and not just skimming the words like, ah, done, time to go do something else. No, truly diving into the word. And it doesn't, and it could be just you. And it doesn't have to be this podcast, it doesn't have to be. A full-on sermon and it could it's just you and the Lord when you're in a relationship and maybe some of you have never been in a relationship you have there has to be a trust and an understanding between each other of love and you know you have to communicate and if there's no communication how can there be a relationship I, I heard of this in a video once that sometimes we are the toxic partner in the relationship and many of us would say oh never I would never be a toxic partner no not me but what if we were and it was just in an unexpected place between the relationship of you and Jesus you might be the toxic one I might be the toxic one and I wouldn't even know until we truly open our eyes and we see that there's dust on our Bible because we haven't opened it and we haven't communicated. Okay, so in John 15, so John tells the truth about him and cries out saying, This is the one I told you about, the one who comes after me and is greater than I am because he was living before me. So. The verse interrupts the flow of the narrative for verse 16 naturally follows the verse no verse 16 naturally follows the end of the verse 14 full of grace truth and his fullness we have received and the grace for grace so john probably decided to insert john the baptist testimony to point to underscore the major theme of the prologue christ's eternal existence 
John the Baptist declared that Christ ranks ahead of me because he was before me. Although Jesus was humbly born after John the Baptist, Jesus existed from eternity past. For this reason, Jesus outranked John the Baptist. So, Jesus outranked John the Baptist because Jesus existed from eternity past. So, before John was even born, Jesus was already existed. So, verse 16. John tells the truth about him and cries out, saying, This is the one I told you about, the one who comes after me and is greater than I am because he is living before me. Oh, I'm sorry. That was verse 15. So, verse 16. He became, because he was full of grace and truth, from him we receive one gift after another. So, the Greek word of fullness indicates suburban and completeness. John used a root form of this verse, full of grace and truth. John stretched out the language to its very limit in attempting to capture the facts about Jesus and, at the same time, the lasting impact Jesus had on those who followed him. When John spoke of Jesus' fullness, he was affirming that he had never found Jesus lacking in any way. John's description conveys a subtle invitation for us to trust Jesus, trust Jesus' ability to meet our end's needs. So. so, we can continue on verse 17. Oh wait, not yet. I have something else to say. So, the fullness. In Gnostics used the word fullness to describe the totality of mystery cults. Although exclusive in membership, the G's were inclusive in theology. Instead of receiving the full truth that the word became flesh, they invented a religion, the word became secret. They made fullness a protected mystery, but Jesus made fullness is a living reality. Both John and Paul used Plamora to describe Christ, proclaiming that Christ embodies the fullness of God because, he, because all of God's fullness dwells in Christ. We can find every spiritual reality we need in Him. He embodies all of God's power, wisdom, mercy, and love. He fills everything in every way. The infinite God follows us to draw his attributes and resources. So, we received all. So, in verse 16, it says, We received all. We, re <laughs> we all received one gift after another. So, at this point, John includes the believers, not just himself and the apostles for whom he was spoken spokesman all believers receive christ's fullness but no single believer can receive all of christ it takes a whole body of christ to appropriate his fullness and express it you can see ephesians chapter 1 verse 23 so nothing can deplete christ so deplete means exhaust use up consume or drain so you can say Nothing can drain Christ, nothing can exhaust Christ, nothing can use up Christ, or nothing can consume Christ. Nothing. No matter how much believers receive Him, He keeps on giving. His strength is not diminished by helping others. 
Believers do not need to seek any other source of spiritual power but Christ. I mean, but Christ. Paul said, For in him dwells all the fullness of Godhead bodily, bodily, and you are complete or made full in him. You can see Colossians verse, chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. Christ himself fulfills our Christian life. We do not need to seek anything beyond him. So he fills us and we don't need anything else. Christ is not used up, nor consumed, nor drained, no matter how much we believe and receive him. So you might think, oh, my other half of an orange is my soulmate, this person or that person. But it's actually Christ. Nothing else fulfills us. No money in the world, no video game, no shoes, money, food, nothing. Nothing can fill us except Christ. That void that you feel is what you need to fill with Christ, not with anything of this world. This world is temporary. And like I said before, don't just focus on the tip of the rope when you have the rest of the rope, and the rest of the rope is eternity. Don't focus on this life, but on the other one, the one with Christ. So, grace upon grace. The Greek text literally says grace in place of grace, which could mean grace replenishing grace as continually supply of Christ's loving kindness, or the New Testament grace replacing the Old Testament grace, in the sense that Christ's deposition of grace sus- suspends Moses or anticipate grace is replaced with fulfilled grace. Either way, we need to realize that the grace given by Christ can never be exhausted because He is the full grace. When we are exhausted and empty, Christ is always present to fulfill us with His grace. So, we're going to end in verse, verse 16 so we can truly meditate on that. And it, it hits differently when it says, you know, grace upon grace, that the grace given by Christ can never be exhausted because He is full of grace. He can never be exhausted, but we can. And when we're empty, Christ is always present to fill us with His grace. No matter how much we rejected it, no matter how much we just didn't want to be there, no matter how toxic we were in that relationship with Him, He always fills us up with His grace and forgives us. And we need to remember that. That with our own power, with our own strength, we cannot do anything significant. We might feel like, ah, yes, I am striving in life. But when you feel that void in your heart that only Christ can fill, you should really rethink that. Because without Christ, we are nothing. His grace is what fills us, what truly fills us. And when you're tired, you can always look to Christ to fill you up with His grace. Because without Him, we are nothing but thus. Let's end with a prayer. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for letting us understand and read your word today. Please help us retain this word, Lord, and not let it go through one year and come out the other. Help us apply it to our everyday lives, Lord. To really apply it to to change our lives, Lord, for the better. Help us change our lives. I thank you for allowing me to preach to the other person on the other side, Lord. May it stay in their hearts, Lord, and not go out somewhere else. Help us throughout our, for the, the rest of our day, Lord. Keep us safe, please. I thank you for everything that you've done, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, next, um, tomorrow we will continue on verse 18. And, yeah, so, thank you for everything, guys, and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.